Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warriors. Welcome back. If you're new here, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day and giving us a chance to earn your attention by lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource you've got that is your time. And I believe that even attention is one of those things that we don't give enough homage to because really you could give me your time on a run, but not be paying much attention and you just listen to it and re-listen to it and not sure what you've taken away. So I appreciate those that pay attention and and I hope to pay in dividends back to you uh, in return on your career advancement and understanding. Today's entrepreneur is a solar project and solar battery storage developer with a very interesting track record and history. Nobel Chang is the co-founder and managing partner of a development company in Florida called Palladium Energy, though he himself is based here in North Carolina. We've got to get together soon if we can make that happen. Palladium focuses on utility scale solar and as I mentioned, energy storage, both developing and investing in those projects. He's worked on a number of different territories in the US and beyond since uh, he got in the industry in 2009. Today, we're not only going to dig into how and why Nobel found his way into solar project development, but some of the very interesting life hacks this young man employs to ensure that he is focused and that his team is succeeding. If this is at all interesting to you, well, you're in the right place because we have more than 500 additional clean energy founder stories and startup advice just like this in our catalog over at mysuncast.com. I'd like to give a quick hat tip to our mutual friend and longtime Suncast listener, PJ Cooperman, for originally making the intro to Nobel. I am forever grateful for you, PJ, and for all of you Solar Warriors when you do recommend guests for the show. I take it seriously and I do follow up, even if it takes many months to make it happen in the end. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Nobel, it's been a long time coming, and I'm really, really glad that we finally were able to lock down the the mutual schedule that allowed us to record. I, I wish that you could have come to Durham or I could have made it over to Asheville, but we'll have to make that for another time. Welcome to Suncast. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a long time coming for us to record this uh, episode, but excited to be here. And we're both really busy, but that's really good for the industry. I mean, there's a lot to do and, you know, a lot more to do. Yeah, there's so much to do. I marvel at the number of events. I mentioned in the intro that PJ had introduced us. I missed an event that the two of you joined down in Charlotte. Boy, 2022 has been such a hectic time. At the time of this recording, we're getting ready to head into Solar Power International, now rebranded as RE+. Are you excited about RE+. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, this time is going to be in California where I grew up. And so I'm excited to head back there and, you know, hit the beach before hitting the conference. But yeah, I'm really excited about the about going. 
Let's talk a bit about your upbringing. You mentioned being uh, having grown up in California. I know that you went to school up in the Malibu area. Talk to me a bit about the influence of sort of that California vibe growing up on the the career directions uh, that you've taken. Yeah. So, you know, born and raised uh, around the Pasadena area. So, you know, we have kind of great schools there. JPL is there, you know, and you know multiple universities around. And so, you know, I think growing up in, in California has really kind of shaped my career. You know, I started in real estate development gotten into the space uh, after the real estate crash. But, you know, there was entrepreneurs everywhere, you know, like big Silicon Valley stories or you know, coming out of California, you know, growing up in LA, you know, everyone is chasing that kind of big dream. And so, you know, I, that was kind of a culture culture that was really interesting to kind of grow up in. And, you know, it was, I was lucky enough to travel all, all over the world as well. And so, you know, I think all of that has shaped my my want and need to kind of jump into cool ventures and, you know, and help, um, you know, help people. And, you know, I've had, I have a lot of people in my life to help me as well. So, you know, kind of my upbringing definitely, you know, poised me to, um, to start, you know, the companies that I've started. The thing that I didn't appreciate when I was, you know, growing up in South Carolina, rural farm town is the ability to have the macro influence from the culture, as you mentioned, you know, growing up in Pasadena, I mean, Bill Gross has Idea Lab right there. Uh, there's so many influential entrepreneurs in clean energy and beyond who have informed, I'm certain, not just yours, but many of your peers' way of thinking about the world. And, and I realized all too late, having graduated in 2001, that the internet and the dot-com boom was even a thing, right? <laughs> and, and I don't, I think, I think that folks don't necessarily, or we take for granted now uh, the internet and even email. And I remember graduating from college and my peers who graduated from UC Berkeley in 2001 have a totally different perspective on what was happening in the world than I did uh, living in, in South Carolina and going to a totally different, so being in a different culture. Speaking of culture, can you tell me a bit about your family and your upbringing. And I'm particularly curious around like, what was the conversation like in your household and in your community? I'm wondering if there were any early signs that entrepreneurship was something around you that you were absorbing unknowingly or knowingly. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in, uh, around Pasadena, you know, um, I, I grew up with my grandmother. She took care of me and I took care of her. It was a you know, great upbringing that I had with her. I think my upbringing really taught me that, you know, anything is possible. You know, I grew up as a, you know, first generation Asian American, you know, without much, um, you know, grew up, you know, with a bunch of uh, family around me. Um, and so, you know, we were able to kind of get out under that kind of, uh, kind of difficult immigrant, you know, classic immigrant story, you know, and I started my first job when I was 14 years old trying to provide for the house. And so, you know, I was able to kind of bring value early uh, on and, you know, start the learning process of, you know, you know, how my contribution can help a, help a family. Um, and so that, that really helped me out. But, you know, it was probably more so during college that I started to, you know, get a lot of my uh, entrepreneurship ideas, right? You see, you know, at the time that I was going to college, you know, the, you know, like you said, the internet boom is kind of already kind of over. However, you know, you, we started to see the shift from everyone wanting to go into investment banking to go into, into tech, right? That was the, everyone was kind of the, 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 you know, going into that. And like, because, you know, when new industries start, there's so much change and it's extremely exciting. 
And I think what's exciting about nowadays for, for young folks getting into the industry now is that you're seeing the conversation move from tech into clean tech. And, you know, like I just, I just read this article that, you know, a lot of uh, Ivy League schools now go, going there, like the, the cool thing to get into now is climate tech or clean tech. And I think that's really exciting. And I think that will drive people more into renewables and, you know, and, you know, and furthering this mission that we have of transitioning into the clean economy. I couldn't agree more. It's been a long journey. I heard recently in another interview that I did with a friend of ours, Tim Montague, your sort of version of the solar coaster. You often refer to the, the ride from, you know, the mid aughts to now as the solar coaster, because it's by and large, you know, driven by uh, or sort of incentive fueled industry, uh, as many industries are. But it's been a uh, it's been a long journey to get to a place where we really start. We really can start to feel like there is going to be some consistency in policy and some consistency in um, in financial market understanding and, and, and not, and not constant fluctuation. I'd love to understand when it became, you mentioned that you were in real estate earlier in your career. When did it become clear to you that clean energy specifically was going to be a, de- a destination, right? It was going to be a, a, a path you could walk with a sense of certainty or that you had a conviction that it was going to turn into an industry you could lean into for more than a decade. That's a very good question. I love that because I love to talk about this all the time. I know it was 2008, you know, the real estate market has just crashed and I, and then I had to do something different with my life. And so I joined a company called Topco Scientific. It was a company out based out of Taiwan, uh, which is where my parents are from. And, you know, I worked with them for a little while um, on my first project, as I've kind of mentioned in other podcasts was the off-grid wind, solar and battery uh, system. And so, you know, deploying these one kilowatt systems in, in Africa and Asia, you know, I got to see lights turn on where lights never turned on before. And the entire process was just fun. And so, you know, the age old adage that, you know, if you love walking, you'll walk further than, than the person who loves a destination. And I really enjoyed the space. You know, I think, you know, it's, it's definitely really difficult. And, you know, if solar coaster comes every two, three years. That's any kind of burgeoning industry. You know, I think with solar specifically or renewables uh, at large, you know, we're legislatively driven. And so there, you know, every two to three years, we experience this kind of roller coaster event, you know, but, you know, it's pretty amazing to see in the 13 years that I've been in the industry, how much has changed. But I think now we have kind of the power of hindsight. So we see like, okay, no one freak out, like we're going to, we're going to figure this out and then, you know, push on forward, develop a lot of solar. I think, you know, it's very, very motivating to see, you know, people coming in, you know, from, from young talent who, you know, or want to jump into renewables and, you know, from institutional investors jumping in to, you know, developers growing and hiring extremely smart talent. And so, you know, I think, you know, I'll be the, the solar roller coaster is something that we should really prepare for, you know, but we've seen enough of these that, you know, I believe we are prepared and we can learn from lessons of previous solar coasters, you know, and propel our industry forward. I think there is no destination. I mean, hopefully we can all work ourselves out of a job, you know, and then, you know, then we're, then it's great. Like maybe that's the destination, but, you know, truly I love, you know, the, the entire process of development. I've developed projects from beginning to end and financed them, built them, you know, so I would call myself a generalist and I've done kind of everything in in the um, solar value chain, you know, but I'm excited to learn about new technologies and, you know, going into that eventually a carbon capture 
and all that. It's really exciting to kind of be in this industry as, at large. Can you take me back to you know beginning of the last decade, August 2010, you started as a project manager at Topco. How did you begin the process of, of knowledge acquisition to really figure out, coming from your real estate background, to figure out what solar project development was all about and where your skill set would be best utilized in the industry? I think when I first started at Topco, I knew nothing about renewables. You know, I had started my education in civil engineering, so I knew a little bit about engineering, although I'm not that detail-oriented, so engineering is not for me. But I, I think the curiosity part of it really propelled my career there. You know, I, I think it was really interesting what they were doing. You know, I, I joined on at, at the, the solar unit um, when they were kind of manufacturing solar modules. And so, you know, they allowed me the space and time and allowed my curiosity to grow by understanding from beginning to end how to kind of engineer a off-grid wind solar and battery system. And, you know, I saw, you know, I, I was there too when they developed their five megawatt project back in 2010. So, you know, big for that time. But, you know, I think throughout my career, you know, I really harness range. I, at least I try to harness range, you know, everything from, you know, learning everything about solar. What does that mean, harness range? Unpack that. So pulling on a string earlier, and I would call myself a generalist because, you know, I learn, I like to learn a lot about everything. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, financed solar projects, you know, I've been in part of groups, uh, companies that have built um, solar projects and operated them. And then, you know, I started my career on an off-grid wind solar and battery system. And, you know, most of my career I've developed from Greenfield all the way to NTP and COD. And so learning that entire value chain is extremely helpful. But at the same time, I think range is the expansive knowledge that you get from everything that we learn. You know, so all the podcasts that I listen to and, you know, all the learning that comes from trying out different things, different sports and all that, and the kind of culminating you as a, as a round full person rather than kind of a fully specialized person, which is, you know, I, I think, you know, most organizations, organizations need, need both. Right. But for me, my career was, uh, you know, I followed the path of, of learning and um, implementing skills throughout kind of every, find the range of knowledge that I've I've accumulated. Have you thought about what the core skill set is that you developed uh, in those early years at Topco? I think it's really, it's telling one thing. If you look at, and my LinkedIn is probably emblematic of this more than yours, but a lot of folks in the industry are on the job Ferris wheel, right? They'll go up for a year or two and they'll come back down, they'll get off and they'll go try another ride. Stay in the industry, but they're in, they're in the same amusement park, but they're on different rides, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think because it's because there's a lot of opportunity to both have fun, figure out what do you like. Like maybe you didn't like the teacup, it made you nauseous, like mm-hmm. I, like some of my, my past employment. <laughs> um, but you really did like the roller coaster. There was like the adrenaline and the speed, and you stayed for almost six years at Topco. How would you contextualize that early learning? for you around the skill set that you developed. And I, I would like for you to think about it within the, within the context of what you see maybe others lacking or not developing today that they take for granted other people can do for them that we kind of had to do for ourselves back then. So, you know, when I first started at Topco, you know, I was part of a team, was working on projects that I've never worked on before. And there's a lot of learning that happened. I think the most important skill that I learned from that was how to get kind of buy-in from, you know, everyone on the team to push forward an initiative. You know, I think we talk about, you know, this person 
who kind of pushes the initiative forward and, and leads with all their might, you know, but that quickly runs out of gas. And you know, I think, you know, getting corralling a team around a kind of a shared vision to push, push forward is, is extremely important. I think, you know, I did stay um, there for, for quite some time and then saw the California market opening up and, you know, did the whole policy analysis, you know, at, at, at that time and said, well, I think the U.S. market is opening up. There's a 30% cash grant that's there. You know, there are off-tick opportunities that are there. And you know, I was lucky that my company allowed me to fail forward. There were a lot of initiatives. You know, we had projects in Thailand and in China and, you know, in Africa and all over Taiwan and starting in the States. At that time, I didn't know what a PPA was, but I knew that there was a way of contracting, you know, the energy that we sell. So I had to learn all that, but, you know, uh, I think I'm very grateful for them allowing me to fail forward and which taught me a lot that, you know, it's, it's okay to fail. It's actually, it should be encouraged that we fail and fail quickly and fail forward and learn and, and move on. You know, I think, you know, a lot of the, the first, my first project took, you know, two and a half years to develop from early stage to NTP, you know, and now thinking about it, that was, you know, now it's pretty quick, but at the, at the time we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> and, you know, and I think, you know, we had to hit many walls and then, you know, learn to move. And I think what that did was taught me about kind of flexibility, the ability to pivot and getting a team to pivot. You know, that's really important too, and continue to push on when, you know, things get rough. So, I mean, I think, you know, I think, you know, I'm, most of my career has been pushed forward with, with grit and creativity. So. Um, there we go. Can you give me an example where, I mean, as you're talking, I'm having flashbacks to like my time developing and, uh, I'd love it if you have in mind an example of where things got tough, because it's easy for us to, to, to sort of glorify the entrepreneur journey and the grit needed, but real specific examples as a listener help to really understand like, okay, what does it look like for things to get tough in project development? Seth Godin says, you got to know when to stop digging, right? And I found in developing Latin America projects, oftentimes we wouldn't stop digging when we should have. <laughs> we were solving for the wrong variable and we would end up in dead ends and we weren't seeing enough projects coming through, right? You couldn't develop the pattern matching. My colleagues like you in the US, uh, my peers were seeing hundreds of projects a quarter and I was seeing a 10 projects a quarter, right? So can you talk a bit about that, that development process, development cycle and where you specifically remember, like, give me an example of where you remember like hitting a wall or going, Ooh, this is really hard. I don't know what to do next and how you got through that moment. It's interesting that you and I have uh, a similar experience developing Latin America countries you know, that gets very hard, very fast and does not stop <laughs> becoming very difficult. And so you know, I developed a 21 megawatt project in Sonora. Mm, wow. Yeah. And, you know, that project was, you know, difficult for, for many reasons, including, you know, I couldn't speak the language whatsoever. You know, at the end of the project, I could, you know, get around in a cab and order food and, you know, not get myself killed. The latter being very important in Sonora. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it, it was a very interesting project where, you know, I thought, you know, that, from all the projects I developed before that, I could take those lessons and apply it almost directly. You know, that was not the case. I think the most difficult part was, you know, the the offtake contract was a PPA with the municipalities, you mm -hmm. know, powering their lights. And, you know, it was a great 
great rate, extremely high rate. And, you know, like what, like what's, a, what's an extremely high rate? That's $130 a megawatt hour. 130 megawatt hour. Okay. 13 yeah. cents a kilowatt hour for those who are trying to kind of figure out the math on the work in residential. That, that's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, most of uh, electricity in Mexico is subsidized. And so if we were to sell directly into the grid at the time it was injected, it would be, you know, a tenth of that cost, that price. You know, so it was really exciting to to work on that, you know, and thought, you know, I was able to bring my financeability lens or bankability lens into that project and get it financed. It took, you know, nine months to find a buyer and a bank. Was this with Topco or was this after you had started your own company? And how did you get into Mexico? Like what brought you into Mexico? This is with my own company. I started a development shop in you know, 2014 doing, doing the same stuff in California, the, you know, the Remat Crest program type of projects and, you know, developing projects in Northeast, uh, the QFs there, you know, and then saw an opportunity to develop projects in Mexico because it was kind of booming at that time, or I thought it was booming at that time. And California market was kind of shrinking. We were hitting this, you know, solar coaster event where, you know, uh, PPAs were kind of getting more scarce. And so looked at other areas and, you know, was able to be, get connected um, with, with folks there you know, who was able to, you know, bring projects for it. And so it was, you know, I, I say this over and over and again, it's a people business. And, you know, the, the people that, you know, that the network that I continually foster and is part of the, my favorite part of the job, you know, are the ones that, you know, bring the best opportunities. And so this, this is what, that's how I got into Mexico is kind of, you know, calling people and, you know, I called the U.S. Embassy and they set up meetings with me with governors in, in California. And that's how, how I kind of got started with uh, meeting folks and, you know, just, just hitting, hitting, the, uh, hitting the phones and, and getting out there. Did you intuit that you should call the embassy or did, or did someone say, well, if you want to go to whatever country, call the embassy, they'll help you? No, I, it was something that was thought up um, during an MBA class. We had to do an international study report on a, you know, a, 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 a country in your field. And I was studying, you know, multiple kind of countries and, you know, I'd, found that out through uh, Mexico, looked like it had a lot of opportunities. Hey, Sunshine, clouds got you down? It doesn't have to be that way. Leading solar enterprises around the world are making the most of their investments in Sunshine with Solar Anywhere, the data and intelligence service from Clean Power Research. Whether you're designing or operating solar assets, Solar Anywhere helps you reduce project risk and improve performance benchmarking. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash solar anywhere. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. It's built in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like a higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative Solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. Hey family, one quick reminder here that if you haven't yet joined Resource Labs, you are missing out. It is our outstanding community. It's the evolution of SunCast moving from presentations, you listening to us talk, to conversations. Our community involved in conversations as varied as powering Australia to green hydrogen to crypto 
and so many other things. Our newsroom is full of great insights. The main chat and even our RE Plus Where to Party At channel have been popping off. We've got more than 100 folks enjoying the community, and I would invite you in. You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash community. Come see how Resource Labs can help you grow your influence, impact, and income. See you inside. Well, Nobel, what was the spark that really ignited your interest in going out on your own back in 2014? And I'll note that maybe you will have changed this because I'm bringing it up by the time folks see it on your LinkedIn. But at present, your LinkedIn says that Radiant Sky was 2016. I'd love for you to sort of split hairs with me there for a minute. Yeah, sure. So, you know, when I when I got into industry, you know, that off good wind, solar and battery system, you know, I saw like how much I could help improve people's lives you know, and passion has kind of only grown kind of with the worsening state of the world. When I started developing large scale projects at the time, megawatt and a half with large, I thought to myself, you know, what was, what is like the biggest conflict that we're going to kind of, kind of face, right? In 2010, you know, electricity heat production was one, like the largest single source of greenhouse gas emissions, you know, 20 some odd percent. Uh, it's still the same today. And I thought to myself, like, how can I make the most impact? You know, it's developing good projects at scale and with speed. Um, you know, as part of a larger organization that was kind of moving away from the U.S. market, you know, it was kind of um, slowing down uh, during the 2014, 2015 timeframe. But I still wanted to develop projects. I didn't care that we were going against a uh, solar coaster event. I didn't care about all the headwinds. And I still wanted to develop projects. And I've learned quite a bit from my time there that I kind of wanted to do on my own. And so I made the leap mostly because it was might have been hard to get hired at that time because we were going through kind of a difficult, uh, difficult solar coaster event. And I was like, well, you know, it doesn't take that much to lock up a site back then in California, very different today. Um, and I knew how to develop projects from, from, from end to end. And so from a capital standpoint at that time, it didn't take that much to you know, lock up um, you know, leases and submit to interconnection queue. It really what didn't it take mean? that much. Capital. What does it mean, though? Because some people listening may not understand at all what you're talking about. What does it mean to lock up a project um, or or interconnection queue? Can you spell out some of those some of those details? Sure. I think I think when I say lock up, it means different in different markets as well. In California, to get into the Remap program, which is a which is a you know feed-in tariff program, that was kind of a reverse auction mechanism um, that uh, you know Southern California had. You know, we needed to have site control. You know, full control of you know, either lease or purchase, we needed to, you know, get through some sort of permitting um, process, didn't have to be fully complete, but to start the process, and we'd have to have interconnections filed. So at that point, we were ready, at, at, at those three points, um, those, those three pillars of development, we were able to go after a PPA. And so relatively small dollars, a lot of effort, for sure, a relatively small dollars to go in after and create a ton of value in the, in the beginning. You know, it's, it's, it's very similar to, you know, QF PERPA development where, you know, you have a legally enforceable obligation that you meet if you have site control, interconnection, permanent, et cetera. And it's different through all, all states. And that's what I mean by lockup. That's very, it's, I mean, it's fundamental learning, uh, kind of understanding those three pillars of development. And for those who are unfamiliar, QF means qualified facility, the state of North Carolina, for an example. Uh, had specific blocks of power that you could develop called five megawatt. Uh, that was five megawatts, which were considered qualifying facilities, at which point under the purple rules, 
Duke Energy or any anyone, if it had been any other Progress Energy or whatever, selling electricity in, in the the state had to buy that facility at the avoided cost, right? It was like there's a specified that's amount. That's right. Yeah, that's a it's a that's documented. Right. You so you basically know if I can develop this project all the way through and build it, they have to buy it. And then it's a race to just get into the interconnection queue, right? And we see that across, we've seen that rather over the last decade as a really scalable development model, but it's a rise and fall by market, market by market. It sounds like that is sort of a key learning for you through the Topco time and and into the Radiant Sky time. Uh, So the market wasn't necessarily favorable for going and getting another job. Sounds like Topco was starting to move more towards international development. And that led you to start your own company. Was it just a a solopreneur thing or was it you working with others? Meaning were you mostly just consulting and you called it Radiant Sky or did you kind of build a a project business around it? The latter. Mm. Um, Definitely build a project business around it. I saw, you know, you know, for for me, I've always been a developer, um, probably not a good consultant. But you know, I, I've created value where, you know, where, where there was just land. Um, and so I continue to do that. And, and that's part of, you know, part of the the fun that I have is creating such value. And, and, you know, I definitely was able to hire, you know, some folks for, who joined the team and, you know, raise, raise a bit of money to help um, kind of push on development. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the idea was to, you know, develop projects at scale. And, and, and how we did that was you know, doing what we could to kind of get value as soon as possible. And eventually we sold them, you know, we, we weren't IBPs, we were kind mm. of pure play developers, you know, and then saw the opportunity to do it internationally as well. Um, you know, in, yeah. in projects in Mexico and Chile and Argentina yeah. and Japan and, and all that. And that most of that was through kind of, in, you know, in, uh, internal inertia. You know, yeah. we, we saw, you know, we were doing that uh, Mexico project and it was extremely, extremely fun, albeit very mm-hmm. difficult um, you know, I saw a similar type of QF play happen in Chile. Um, you know, we brought on yeah. a um, kind of director, um, you know, that was from there and, you know, did the whole, you know, new market analysis to, you know, what will create offtake, what will create value and to start yeah. developing projects in Chile. And that was also a very, very fun um, That's super cool. And that was in that 2016, uh, 2015, 16, 17 That's time right. Frame. That's right. Yeah. Man. It's a great time. <laughs> I know from our conversations that you have a lot of different interests. Was there at some time a career path that you did not go down, but you always kind of thought you would? Yeah. You know, and I think just pulling on the string of earlier, um, being kind of growing up in this tech scene, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've always thought, you know, I would get into tech. I went to school, um, got my MBA with a concentration, in digital innovation, information systems, uh-huh. always thought I would go the tech route, you know, play with, with some ideas, you know, launch an app, um, like a lot of college kids do. Is that the easy streak? That's, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought I would, I would get there. So, you know, I had a lot of opportunities to join uh, some tech companies, you know, but I was always pulled back into renewables because, you know, so much happens in such an exciting field to be in that I can never kind of pull myself away from it. I, I don't know if I, if I will for the foreseeable future. Honestly, (laughs) what happened with with Easy Streak? I'm kind of sensing that was also timed around your time at uh, Pepperdine again, going back and getting your MBA and sort of exploring where do you want to place your skills? Is that right? Yes, that's right. That's right. You know, I I think, you know, I was I was doing my MBA and, you know, had a lot of ideas. And Mm -hmm. like I said, I try to try as hard as possible to cultivate kind of knowledge from from everywhere to, you know, got together with a grad school uh, buddy of mine. 
And, um, you know, within six months, we had an idea, um, brought it to launch. Um, it was a easy streak was a easy streak was a kind of, uh, sports pick em app mm-hmm. where you could, you know, bet on your favorite teams and all, yeah. all that. And, um, you know, we, we, we had a lot of like guerrilla marketing and word, word of mouth marketing. And, you know, we were, we beat, uh, FanDuel and DraftKings on the most downloaded fantasy app sports, uh, for about wow. two weeks, but that was really, really fun. That's amazing. Well, it yeah. speaks to your resourcefulness and in a lot of ways, kind of where your head's at. It helps me understand a bit better kind of the way that you think. It helps me sort of a little bit more understand who who you are and kind of the skills you bring to the table, which brings me to another thing that I usually will, I like to ask. And that is what tools, when you think about the work that you did in corporate the, and then moving in Radiant Sky to creating your own business and now with Palladium creating your second business, how would you describe the tool set that you've developed as an entrepreneur or even as a leader, the management tools, the mental models that have helped you scale from success to success? Yeah, throughout my career, I've worn many hats and done everything from analyzing, creating markets, to signing leases, you know, to developing projects, NTP, you know, to seeing a project get built and like injecting electrons um, into the grid. So I could call myself a, a generalist, like I said earlier, yeah. but I think the, the tools that I've learned is, you know, I, I would say earlier, you know, cultivating a range of knowledge, you know, learn about physics, about mental models, like you were saying, about finance, about development, EPC, you know, tech, mm-hmm. reading biographies and, uh, you know, taking in, taking in knowledge from everywhere. So, you know, cultivating range is a tool that, you know, I, I think is something that can be sharpened and, you know, continuing to, to be used. You know, another one is, you, you've said it earlier is building mental models. Um, this is a lot of what I learned um, throughout my career. You know, um, several mental models that I, I guess I still use is, you know, probably one when I was at uh, Pine Gate Renewables was the Red Queen effect. Paraphrase a bit, you know, standing still has the same impact as falling behind. You know, so progress is something to be kind of pushed through kind of every single day and can be compounding as well. So, you know, another one is activation energy. Um, where you know you you might have two elements, but it is not enough to spark something. There might be a good a good market for solar. There might be money to develop solar, but you need something to activate that energy. That's where developers come in. You know, second order thinking is known that that, that I uh, use a lot, which is and then what and then what. Asking those questions over and over again, and you build out this web of consequences, you know, positive or negative, um, from there, and then. You know, recently building businesses is not just, you know, a professional thing. It is a personal thing too, you know, and, and life gets hard and that impacts the businesses. And so, you know, another tool um, that I use is, you know, learning stoicism and, and philosophy, you know, practicing mindfulness. Um, you know, that's something that I practice every single day because, you know, things get hard. But as I learn with philosophy, you know, things are supposed to be hard, you know, and we are built to handle very hard things in life. A framework that you introduced at the beginning that I'd like to dig a little deeper into with you, Nobel, is this idea of inputs and outputs. You know, I've talked about it a bunch. I would love for you to just expound on how you think about the context or concept of inputs and outputs, how to extend it, how it helped you raise capital and why it uh, it factored into how you thought about developing Palladium. So maybe bring me to the place in time where you decided to step out of Pinegate and now start Palladium. What was the thesis? How did you begin to think about building a team around the, the idea? 
and, and bring it to this, uh, this whole concept of inputs and outputs? You know, it, I think as inputs as something personal, what your energy put into something and outputs is the, are, is the tangible product coming out okay. from your, your inputs. And so decoupling inputs and outputs means that, you know, I'm able to apply leverage onto my in- inputs to increase my out- outputs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a, a few of those, a few of the ways that um, we could do that is through either through capital, you know, raising capital to be able to, you know, invest in projects and invest in people and invest in ways to kind of, you know, have to do more than the capital that I have personally. Mm-hmm. And we're fortunate enough to have you know investors that believe in us and are, are we are able to develop a lot of projects at scale because of the the trust that our investors give us. Second is through people and leveraging people doesn't sound very good, but you know, the team that we've built, you know, each of us doing this together, you know, the, the sum of us together is more than each of us as individuals, right? So Mm -hmm. we all help each other kind of increase our output. And that's how we kind of our fundamental thought process as to when we're building the team you know, I lead everything business development and commercial strategy. Yeah. Danny leads um, finance and M and A, and then Mark leads uh, development operations. And we lean on each other to magnify our our inputs and have a lot of output from there. As an entrepreneur, deciding on the team that's going to be that's going to be the core team is probably the most the most important early decision you can make. How did you? decide that Danny and Mark were going to be the people that you were going to hitch up with and, and, and move forward with them. Take me to that point in time. Sure, sure. So Danny and I worked well together. Um, we, we were from Pinegate, both of us. And so we worked together, you know, knew each other's kind of nuances and we were in the trenches together. You know, Mark had worked together with Danny previously. Um, so, you know, when we banded together, you know, we had a shared vision of deploying solar at scale doing utility scale projects that allow us to do that. And, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, our philosophy behind why renewables is, you know, a sustainable business um, in many ways and, you know, sustainable as in, you know, the business will continue to grow, to grow and it's a, a good business to be in, you know, and so we had like-minded thoughts. We had, you know, similar work ethic. We have a lot of fun. We're, we're around each other. And it goes back to the thought of, you know, we all enjoy the process of developing projects and, you know, going to new markets and building the team, you know, do we have an end strategy of it all? Something that we talk about all the time, but no, we talk about the process, we talk about how to grow and talk about, you know, what the team is going to look like. And that, that part of it is the fun part. And so I think we'll go very far because we enjoy the journey. Yeah. The, the, the walking versus destination. Uh, what was the, in the formation of the business, the first, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months of the business, what was the hardest, what was the hardest challenge as co-founders you had to overcome or the, or the obvious hurdle that you needed to overcome? When we first started the business, we thought we could go out there with a bit, with a business plan and raise money and be fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, you know, we went out there with a pipeline of projects, pipeline, you know, not projects that we have secured and went out to try to raise capital. And that took much longer. You had locked no, them up. As not, we have not locked them up. No, just an idea of where you can do project development. That's right. An Got idea, it. you know, folks that we knew. And so we banded together when we went out to raise money, you know, we went out and, you know, was very quickly humbled that we needed to prove ourselves um, and not just, you know, bring our resumes out and raise capital, you know. And so 
we had to put our, our own money to acquire our first portfolio. Uh, eventually, we sold that portfolio and had a track record. And that, at that point, that was when we raised capital. So it might be obviously obvious now as I look back. It's hindsight is very you know, 2020. Um, but at that time, you know, we hit you know, a, a lot of roadblocks in raising capital in 2019. Um, mm. So, so I think that was a challenging part. Are you willing to speak about how much you had to put out? I mean, a lot of folks don't have a concept at all of what it looks like to actually start a project development and get that portfolio going. They're not. They aren't lucky to have a track record and they may need to go out and develop their own portfolio to get started. Like how many megawatts, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars does it take to get through that first tranche? You know, I I think it was less about the actual dollars going out and, you know, doing the hard work to work with our development partners, putting in the sweat equity. We did burn some, some cash you know, but it was building relationship with our development partners. And that was the nexus of Palladium is to be good development partners, do what we say, you know, say what we do. When we went out and we acquired a, you know, 208 megawatt portfolio um, of projects in North Carolina, we told our investors, our prospective investors that we were going to do it. You know, eventually, you know, we built a really great relationship with our, with our development partner. We were able to, you know, win PPAs on all of them. I mean, eventually sold that portfolio of projects, you know, to a long-term IPP, you know, and that was kind of the, the, the beginning of um, Palladium going out there and actually raising capital. You know, Nico, I think when we first started the, the company, our business model was to acquire early stage projects, apply our knowledge and our, and our track record and our ability to execute into those projects and get them through, you know, ultimately to get them developed. You know, I think... When starting the business, um, we, we knew some people that, you know, believed in us um, and we've talked to them first. I think it, w- it wasn't really about the money that we, we were able to acquire this portfolio. It was about building the trust, showing them sincerity and not using kind of big dollars to kind of move the needle. It was we showed them that we were able to execute. You know, we were very transparent in our execution strategy with them which was to kind of acquire the project, take control of the project, and then eventually throw it into an RFP and then sell the projects thereafter. So people out there took a big bet on us. You know, I think it's, um, you know, friends and now I could call them friends. And we went through a really tough time together um, trying to get these, uh, these projects through the finish line going up against, you know, folks with a lot of backing behind them. But with this uh, first portfolio of projects, it was three projects. And we were talking about AC capacity. You know, it was 160 megawatts of AC, uh, megawatt AC. The entire procurement was 600 megawatts. And so I think our portfolio of projects was the largest capacity awarded um, to a single developer. Wow. That's, That's really amazing. Well, congratulations. That does earn some credibility. Having that, you went out and raised quite a bit of capital to back your sort of next portfolio, next, um, the next wave, so to speak. Uh, I'd love it if you could share sort of the range, at least, of funds that you raised, what that was raised for, kind of projects like you said, early stage, mid stage, greenfield, what kinds of projects and partnerships represent where Palladium is at right now? Sure. So our first round of capital that we raised is an amount that allows us to get about 500 megawatts from the early stages of development from greenfield or, you know, pretty early stage all the way to NTP, and that includes development dollars that's necessary to get the projects, you know, uh, permitted and done with diligence and, and all that. 
the LC capacities that allow us to, you know, secure offtake and interconnection. And those amounts move quite drastically, but we had a megawatt target that we wanted to uh, achieve. And so, you know, the number actually kind of fluctuates a little bit. Uh, Within the first six months, we were able to um, utilize all that capital and our investor base um, recently tripled their investment in us. Wow. And so we want to go after another uh, gigawatt and a half of projects that are able to actually make it through. Um, We're pretty selective in the projects that we work on. And so if we look Mm -hmm. at the data, our internal database, you know, we've passed on, you know, 97% of the projects that we've taken a look at. And, you know, the, the, the 3% of projects, we have a very high confidence that we're able to, to push them through. And that kind of comes with doing a lot of the legwork up front, building the relationship with the developer and telling them like, well, we want these projects because, you know, we've done all the research. We know we could get zoning. You know, we uh, did the interconnection. We know the interconnection story and we have the capital to push that forward. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, our, our investors like that um, <laughs> and, you know, have continued to um, continue to put their trust in us in a form of uh, increasing our capital commitment from them. That's fantastic. For those who are listening who are not familiar with the utility side of the business, um, NTP, which has been mentioned a couple of times, has noticed to proceed as the part. It's that place in the project where the owner or whoever, you know, whoever is allocating capital to actually like procure project, procure modules and, and sort of move the construction into the building phase or really into the, the, the full engineering phase says, okay, you have a notice to proceed usually with engineering and then ready to build and is like ready to move on site and start actually constructing. There's a whole litany of acronyms that we use. And I apologize if we don't disambiguate all of them. The other one I think is important that maybe not apparent to you, but like LC capacity, I, I presume you mean letter of credit and a letter of credit is something that you have to put up when you bid on these large projects so that the receiver, right? Like the utility or whomever you're bidding for believes that you have enough capacity, enough capital backing you to ensure that you can actually do what you say you're going to do in the bid. So I just want to make sure the folks can understand that. It's a remarkable track record to go from, wow, we've got to actually go uh, put our own money in and build this, even though you have a decade of development experience over a gigawatt. I'm sure, as you said, it was humbling. (laughs) Um, I can only imagine. Thinking again about inputs and outputs, an input by and large is our time. And, uh, and you want to be able to do as much with that time as possible. So can you talk about what you spend time on and how you now think as an entrepreneur with a couple of years under your belt of, of your second venture, really your third venture, how you think about the inputs and outputs as a, as a framework for where you spend, where and how you spend time. Yeah, you're absolutely right about time being the most important non-renewable resource that we have. And that is inputs, our energy is another input that we put in. You know, I think with Palladium Energy, you know, we put in hours and hours into the business and we put a lot of energy in the business. And we, we, what we want to do is develop projects, good projects at scale. And so we focus our time on, on you know, larger projects that we're able to, to develop. And we also focus on what we do best, our highest and best use. For me, it's you know, business development is understanding markets. It's going out there and talking to folks and, you know, seeing what opportunities out there to, to, and, and seeing what we can achieve together as a, as a group, right? Uh, you know, it's, you go fast if you go alone, but you go further if you have people around you. And so we spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about the people part about, uh, of the business. If I think about how I spend my time, 
you know, I make sure to have very focused time, you know, um, there's this concept of, you know, compounding that's in financial markets. You know, you put in a, you know, put in a dollar today is worth a lot more as you compound throughout. And that is the same for energy and time and effort, right? You put in a very focused effort every single day, you'll get a lot further. You know, if you add in, if you get better 1% a day, you know, by the end of the year, you're 37 times better than you were when you first started. That's the same for, you know, for, for relationships, for your career and for effort and, you know, obviously finance and, and all that. And so that's a, you know, that's something that I, I fo- focus a lot on my time and understanding, you know, what can I do today that gives me, you know, that propels the, the business for the most. And I make sure to do at least one big thing every day that I could apply my leverage on to, to get further. You know, one of the things that, that you and I have talked about a lot around, uh, around getting leverage in, and that I appreciate about you, uh, this is not your first, it's your fourth podcast. I'd encourage folks to go and, and find where Nobel has spoken to our friends Benoit and Tim, and there was a third, uh, the Capital one, what's it called? Yeah, New Project Media. New Project Media. Those guys are on top of it, by the way. Yeah. Man, they have a great business. Um, they do. They do. <laughs> I, met, I met their founder early on, and I was just like, wow, uh, this is like this is a great business. Um, yeah. I, I, I wish I could be build a business like that. So, <laughs> But getting media and branding also is leverage, right? That's that is minimum effective dose, as Tim Ferriss would say, mm. of input for maximum effective output. I wonder, are you getting, are you seeing the fruit yet? For those who are thinking themselves, I want to go on a podcast with Nico or Tim. <laughs> Where are you seeing the, adva- the the effects of it? And do you see it as a short-term or a long-term thing? How do you think about that? Yeah, yeah I think um, when we first started this the podcast circuit, if you will, you know, the idea was to kind of get Palladium Energy's name out there mm. to get in front of more people and just to let people know that, you know, we're a company that's, you know, that's, that's new and let people know our philosophy uh, on development, you know, but it has quickly kind of grown into, you know, having conversations about kind of difficult topics and, you know, mm. having quickly have conversations about, you know, uh, where the industry has been and where it's going, you know, current issues and, you know, I've got to know a lot of great people through the podcast. And, you know, I think it is helpful for people to get to know, you know, us in a sense where, you know, we have a 30 minute phone call. I only get to go over my, you know, 30 second spiel. Whereas on, on these podcasts, you know, if people do listen, I'm honored if they do, they get to know yeah. me very personally. Um, yeah. And hopefully we have those conversations more upfront. But, you know, I think with in solar, where it's a fire drill after another, sometimes it doesn't get personal. You know, and I, like I said, this is a people business and, you know, getting personal is that. And I think the podcast um, medium allows us to do that. Well, I'll give you an opportunity to do that. Have you, have you talked about um, your, your personal life yet on any of the podcasts? You know, in terms of <laughs> the struggles that you've had, do you, want, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, Nico, I'm happy to. Okay. You've shared a lot privately about kind of the, the real challenge of, trying to balance personal and professional life. Uh, you said a number of times here, building businesses, not just professional, it's personal. And that you've leaned pretty heavily on stoicism and mindfulness. I don't know if I know anyone who has experienced the kind of simultaneous high and low that you have in business that I know personally. Um, so I would love to really unpack that because I would imagine that you're not alone. I have to, I mean, and it's, it's their different yet similar experiences but could you tell me a bit about uh, how personal tragedy, tragedy has pulled you through 
uh, entrepreneurship or vice versa. Yeah, I'm definitely happy to share that. I think, um, you know, you know, I learned something along the way, you know, we talk about, you know, the hustle and we talk about, you know, putting in effort and, and, and energy and all that, you know, but what I, a hard lesson that I learned along the way is something, you know, I've survived probably one of the hardest things I've ever faced in my life. You know, it's, is letting work define who you are and getting in the way of your life. Um, you know, entrepreneurship, as you hear, is a marathon and, you know, and we need to understand that it takes a team it takes people, it takes, you know, your family to, to do this. And, you know, in Palladium started in, you know, April, 2019 and the team bootstrapped our way to launch. And, you know, my, my wife and I, um, I decided to put off our wedding at the time, um, until after mm -hmm. we closed our first major deal, you know, we saved our money and lowered our spending and sacrificed the present for, you know, a rosy future, you know, and the way that I had pushed through things before was, you know, just focus on work and, you know, put in mm -hmm. the work and get things done. And that kind of defined me for a while. So on May 4th, 2020, we closed our first big deal, you know, roughly the 200 megawatt project that we, uh, that we discussed on May yeah. 5th, uh, I went to my wife and said, Hey, we did it. Now we can get married and, uh, it's time to have children. Um, mm -hmm. and on May 6th, I woke up widowed. Um, my wife had passed away in her sleep and, oh, you know, it was, you know, I'm, it was the single most hardest thing that I've ever had to deal with, um, my entire life while building a business, you know, my entire world was flipped upside down and, you know, I had lost more than I've ever lost. Um, and, you know, I, I was trained by this, you know, hustle, hustle culture that I had to sacrifice today and, you know, and, and, and that enjoyment and fulfillment will come at a later date, you know, like no amount of hustle culture sacrifices worth such a price. You know, I gave my wife's eulogy before I gave her my vows. And that was a very, very difficult thing um, that I had to kind of, kind of go through. And while I do continue to find meaning in my work, you know, I think we as a society need to shed the idea that we are defined by our work. You know, I think I'm going to quote a book that has, you know, that has gotten me through a lot. And it's um, uh, Man's Search for Meaning uh, by Viktor Frankl, yeah. a fantastic book. But, you know, the meaning of life, you know, always changes, but it can be discovered through multiple ways. One is through by creating or doing a deed, well, creating work and doing a deed, you know, uh, second is by experiencing something or loving someone. Three is by the attitude we take towards suffering, which is ultimately unavoidable. Um, so mm -hmm. I focused a lot of my meaning on number one, creating work and doing a deed while bypassing the, the other two. Mm -hmm. And so I was thrown into, you know, the worst grief that, you know, most people will have ever have to go through while the business was doing really well, you know, but I had no one to share it with thereafter. You know, my business partners, you know, gave me a lot of space to think and, um, you know, gave me obviously, a, you know, didn't work for a while, but I was so stuck in hustle culture that I had mm -hmm. to do something. And um, I remember the, the day after I was pacing and walking around and I was like, I have to do something. I have to occupy my mind. Um, I was escaping, yeah. trying to escape feeling mm -hmm. the, the, the grief um, that came from my wife's passing. And, you know, this, you know, you know, I love, I told my wife that I loved her every single day. Um, yeah. It's not that we sacrificed all the present for tomorrow, but, you know, I think, you know, that is a kind of a personal strategy that I've shaped 
you know, how I look at, you know, building a sustainable business and building a community and, you know, understanding, you know, how to move forward in the, the during the worst times of, of my life. You know, but I think I want to be clear, you know, delayed gratification is, is a virtue. Hard work is a yeah. virtue and being committed to work is a virtue. But, yeah. but let's just like, let's overcome this thought that, you know, work is our life. You know, there are so many yeah. other people, there's so many other things in life that, you know, create us as humans. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, the story of it all. I, you know, one big lesson that I learned is through a book uh, by Matt Haig, um, the Midnight Library, you know, grief and pain takes up space. You know, I felt it myself. It was tangible. It took up so much space in my body that it felt like the grief was outside my body. Um, yeah. You know, pain does dissipate, but that space remains. And it's kind of up to us to discover how to fill that. You know, I am hopeful that not every one of us needs to feel that kind of pain to be able to fill, to find meaning in life. You know, it is something that has definitely taken me down the path of philosophy, mm-hmm. understanding that pain is going to be there and our attitude towards it is, is important. <sighs> and I think through continuing to build the business and finding meaning there is more than just the inputs that we put in. And it's more than just the energy that we put in. It's more than the financial outcome that we hope to get one day. You know, it is all encompassing us as professionals and as, as people that when we're doing these things as, you know, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, you know, folks working in, in large corporates, doing something, live your life, enjoy it. I mean, like, and, I, and I said this, like, I enjoy the walk more than destination. And I do that a lot now because of the experience that I went through. Thank you for sharing. Few of us have had have been forced as you have been into the opportunity to reflect as deeply as you have. Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, grief is something that's all encompassing. It almost inundates your life, you know, but I have a pretty strong community around me that has helped me you know, get through it. So, you know, I hope, you know, I, I, I hope that this is a wake up call for some people that are, trying to do something, but forgetting that today is the most important thing. It's not tomorrow. Uh, uh, if anybody is <laughs> watching video that we seem to post uh, erratically about, about these episodes uh, or hear that my voice sounds different, uh, we've paused for a moment because I wanted to share some things with, with uh, Nobel about my, my own sort of journey through grief. Um, and it's, it's really interesting how, uh, how quickly life gets so real in term and and we can we can flow through the game that we're playing right we can get caught up in it believing that other people's priorities or opinions are are tokens in our game and you know, I shared with Nobel that I had uh, a uh, a loss uh, of a dear friend recently and it quickened me around the idea that there are only a few priorities in my life and as much as I've loved building Suncast and I have no intention of stopping, <laughs> uh, I let it get in the way of me building relationships with my children, despite the fact that I built this company to give me freedom from like what most would consider a day job so that I could spend time with my children. I, I had an argument with my wife recently about like I've really fought with her of like why we would 
bring our second child back to homeschooling when we had finally like liberated ourselves of having a child at home. And now she could work with me in the business and we could build and scale the business like the, the dream. This is what we've been working for. And she said, no, the dream is that our children are raised in a healthy household and that you are around to be to, to, to help with that. And uh, I think that a lot of folks listening get, get that. And, and the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic has quickened a lot of folks around what is important in their lives. Thank you for sharing something so, so deeply moving and being transparent and, and, and willing to share from, from your experience now a year on of how you moved through it. Uh, I shared with Nobel um, a, a quote that has meant a lot to me uh, is from Stoic. And I read the Daily Stoic and my friend Luis Morales turned me on to the Daily Stoic. I read that too. <laughs> yeah, I was, raising, I was raising a Christian household. So it's, it's really interesting for me to sort of integrate full, different philosophy. Um, but Stoics, uh, Seneca, Stoics like Seneca said, it's better to conquer our grief than to deceive it. And he goes on in this quote to talk about you can find it on the Daily Stoic if you search a Stoic response to grief. If anyone actually is thinking about how do I handle grief, if you're in a moment of grief, uh, there are resources. Um, a Stoic response to grief is a great post. The griefrecoverymethod.com is another um, another resource that uh, we can recommend. But, uh, you know, losing is not something that is relegated to just our our friends and family members when they die, but... I find that we often don't grieve and release the things that need to die in our business, things that need to die in our, the way we approach life. Um, you know, I, I had to sort of let Nico, the project developer die because that wasn't that, that identity no longer served me, right? It's good for me to be able to identify with you and talk about what you do, but it turns out uh, I was never really that good of a project developer. You know, it's, I would suggest that you are a pretty good project developer, Nobel. I think your track record speaks for that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying to be a good convener, <laughs> conversationalist, mm -hmm. uh, sort of um, curator of, of great thought and intellect around our industry. Uh, I think my track record speaks better to that than project development. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen so many of my friends not, be, not unwilling to let go of the things in their life that defined them earlier, right? To move into new, uh, I'll call evolutions of, mm -hmm. of what they're being. And, um, you know, one of the things that I really respect about the work that you're doing is that you have bounced, um, you've sort of moved from, uh, I said earlier success to success, but you've moved from moment to moment, um, and have been able to let go. Like, the, the, the FanDuel competitor, right? Your ability to test something and move and not have your identity defined by it. Uh, I think that's an important lesson for, for folks to hear. Yeah. To pull on that thread, you know, one thing that I learned a lot is, you know, I, I journal every single day and I give myself affirmations every single day. The I am statement, while powerful, you know, can lead you to a trap. You know, I am a widow was something that I identify with for a very long time. I would go to, you know, dentist appointments and I would have to fill out the form that says single, married, divorced, widow. And I was like, why do I keep having to define myself by this thing? You know, or I am an entrepreneur. You know, I am a person who makes, you know, it should be, I am a person who, you know, you are more than the culmination of 
of things that you assign to yourself. And that was a very big lesson that I learned. Like, you know, if my business, if I were the same person before my wife passed, I would be saying, I am a bulldog. I am someone that will never quit. You know, tenacious. I am tenacious. But now I am, I am a person who does not quit. And if I do quit at one, one time or another, that's okay as well, because I am a person and you as people matter. There's so many other things I want to talk with you about. I'll have to have you back for part two. Uh, you've mentioned Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, you mentioned a book that we'll also link to uh, by Matt Haig called The Midnight Library. Is there anything else that has been meaningful for you, either in um, recovery or in general around leadership that uh, I know that, I know you probably read my notes and you probably maybe even came with a, a short list of books that you wanted to share. You know that on Suncast, we believe that leaders are readers. And I'd love to know <laughs> if you'd share with us some of the resources that have guided you in your entrepreneurial journey or just in your life. Sure. You know, Man's Search for Meaning is by far the book that has helped me as a person grow the most, you know, through professional and personal changes and difficulties. Um, I also love the book, Your Brain at Work by David Rock. Yeah. And I still incorporate mm -hmm. a lot of lessons learned from, from that, even though I, you know, read it years ago. And I also read for fun, The Martian and Project Hail Mary um, by Andy Weir's incredible books that have shaped my leadership style is probably nonviolent communication and radical candor. But, you know, a book that I read every single day is, you know, Daily Stoic. You know, it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. a book that has, you know, a, um, a lesson about stoicism on a daily basis or every day of the year. Yeah. Um, it's been yeah, on my I'm nice sure stand for about, yeah, I have the app and I've, it's been on my nice stand for two years. And I, you know, I would read these quotes and my life would change and I would see it differently. I bet Ryan Holiday, <laughs> uh, when I started, started following Ryan Holiday, I never would have imagined he would be uh, the influence on my life that he has become. His first book, Trust Me, I'm Lying, is <laughs> a classic in my opinion. <laughs> Um, but he learned to, man, he's such, he's just such a great researcher. He learned that from the great Robert Greene, you know, um, the ability to weave a story, the ability to, to tell a narrative is so important. You know, coming back to our conversation on inputs and outputs, that's one of the things that I believe you are going to get the big, greatest benefit from in doing these podcast episodes, because you on a live stage are forced to think, what's my narrative? What's my story? Mm -hmm. And I wish for all leaders of companies in our industry that they would think critically about that, right? Because that is one of the ways that we can get leverage. It is one of the ways that we can build this industry more quickly because we, are more, we will be more courageous to get the word out about what it is that we're doing. I love that when I asked you about, when I asked you when we first met about the, um, you know, what is it that you would teach a college level university course on? And you said, uh, utility scale development because I know how to divorce the project uh, divorce from the project, like not get not fall in love with the project and provide high outcome, high confidence in outcomes. Mm. Um, so bringing it full circle on that, you know, you've developed a methodical and systematic process for passing only 3% of the projects that come through your door. And, uh, and it speaks to your ability to compound the skill set that you have been, um, that you've been working on. I imagine because we've talked at length about leverage and you and I talked about life hacks and things like that, that you may have thought about a few things that you did want to share. Uh, and we're running kind of up on the, the, the end of the time that we can allot, but is there anything that you would add to this conversation before we move to the, the, the crystal ball question that, um, 
that you think we, we would have, um, we would have missed out on the opportunity to talk about? I would say, you know, building a habit of mm. around execution and not relying on motivation to work, um, has been extremely beneficial in my life. So I've, you know, work very hard to build consistent habits and, and practices and, and all that. And so, you know, so I set apart, you know, hour and a half every day to do one big thing. And if, yeah. if that day I just do that, you know, I know that my, my progress will compound building habits around work and building habits about shutting off work, um, mm-hmm. equally as important because sometimes you will use your motivational energy to shut off work. And sometimes you just don't have that. Then you just keep going and keep going. Um, You know, I journaling has been a big part of my life um, for the past, you know, several years. Um, It's completely Mm -hmm. changed my life. And, you know, I think building habits is a way to move things forward without it crawling into your life. Mm. Building habits is also a way to make sure that you spend time with your family. You know, Mm -hmm. make sure you have a shutdown routine or something of the like so you could disconnect and make that a habit too. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about all these life hacks and, you know, forget about the people, us as people. Yeah. I feel like you need to start writing more on the <laughs> Palladium blog or even just on LinkedIn, man. I feel like you've got so much wisdom to share. Uh, <laughs> I would you. encourage you to think about starting a, you know, starting out, just, just putting your thoughts out on LinkedIn, um, whatever you're journaling about, whatever you think your fellow developer, entrepreneur friends would benefit from because you're digging deep, like where you're digging, the soil is rich. And I think that you could fertilize a lot of other thoughts and, and, and minds if you were to share that way. I'd encourage you to do that. Where do you like to be found? How can folks reach out and connect with you? You can find me on LinkedIn or our website. Mm-hmm. The website is? PD46energy.com. PD4, there's a story there. We didn't talk about the 4-6 and all. The, yeah, PD46 is the atomic symbol and number of palladium energy. <laughs> well, palladium. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so since we're at the, the and pulling on the dregs here, why Palladium? So Palladium, when we were thinking of the name, we went through all the, all the names that I think most solar developers think of, but then we wanted to land on, we paid homage to Mark, who is a chemical engineer. Um, mm-hmm. And we said, let's pick a semiconductor that, you know, can, you know, conduct energy, you know, works well under pressure. And today is worth a lot. Uh, as a commodity. So he landed on palladium. Fantastic. Yeah. Palladium. PD46.com? Energy.com. Uh, energy. PD46energy.com. Palladium, which atomic number is 46. Yep. Energy.com. That's fantastic. Uh, I can't believe I hadn't asked that before. I usually do <laughs> like to know the, the naming of the company story as a marketer. Well, let's ask the the question we always end with, uh, Nobel, and um, we'll look forward to the next kind of conversation that we have here. But Let's end with our bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball from the perspective of a solar project developer in 2022? Sure. I mean, I think we live in a world where the power industry is so divided. You know, renewables is such a polarizing issue, you know, just like natural gas plants are. The truth of the matter is we need both. Um, you know, we need both to go to the next, um, to, to go through the transition you know, looking at the history of, of energy objectively, we mostly do not rely on coal because of the natural gas boom. And so I think the polarizing issues will no longer be polarizing issues in the future. My crystal ball tells me in a few years, you know, renewable energy will be supported by both sides of the aisle. You know, why? I mean, 
I think is less of a crystal ball because I see it happening now. You know, more and more people are joining the clean energy transition from from the, the opposite ends of the political spectrum. You know, South Carolina, um, you know, passed a major legislation um, and it's a state that you wouldn't think would have that, you know. Looking at the power rankings, South Carolina native, <laughs> right? Right. Looking at the power rankings of like you know of clean energy is California, obviously, and then it's Texas, mm-hmm. Florida, and North Carolina. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm very optimistic that you know people will be getting into the field because of common sense, and rather than you know it being very mm-hmm. polarized. Yeah, well, we're seeing people getting into the field all the time, just like you from the real estate industry, and if they are looking for a seasoned developer that they can lean on for capital or if they've started developing projects and they aren't quite sure what ne- what is the right next step, I would encourage you to go check out pd46energy.com. Co-founder and uh, head of business development, Nobel Chang has joined us here on Suncast. I hope it won't be the last time. Great to meet you again virtually. I hope to see you in Anaheim and I hope the folks get a chance to get to know you better through this conversation and many to come. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to speak on this podcast. Thank you for being a great host. Hey, thanks for listening all the way through Solar Warrior. And I want to say a special, special thank you once again to Nobel for bringing such depth and maturity and transparency, uh, humility. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you again for being vulnerable, allowing us to really look inside of what it takes and what we often take for granted, not only about our work, but about our life. Thank you for the lessons learned that we can apply all of us to not only our life, but especially if you're a project developer, to our process. If you're eager to keep learning, and I know you are, my fellow Philomath, well, you can find the resources and highlights from this conversation with Nobel, but also every other discussion that we've had on Suncast, along with the social media links for our guests, book recommendations, and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. One other thing that would be just amazing and probably the kindest thing that you could do for us is to leave us a five-star rating and enthusiastic review over on Apple or wherever you are listening to this podcast. It helps others really filter out the noise and find value in Suncast just like you have. So thank you for taking that action. And if it's easier for you, you can just go to rate this podcast dot com forward slash suncast if you're listening on the web or if you are easy more easily prone to remember this instead of to just rate it right there in your podcast player again that's rate this podcast.com forward slash suncast it takes just three minutes and i'll be forever grateful that you are considering helping us out with a review don't forget to tune in again next week that's right next week we have the podcast coming to you each and every Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesdays are, of course, our practical, tactical advice. Right now, we're running replays of our live podcast lounge, what we call the Power Up Media Zone. This coming Tuesday will be our replay of Woody Rubin from AES. And then next Thursday is an Another unbelievable interview with a founder who is, you know, a 10-year overnight success, Shannon Miller, the CEO of Mainspring and their 
linear generator that is getting all the buzz and has raised over half a billion dollars. So I would encourage you come back next week is jam packed. Woody Rubin is just such a great leader from AES and Shannon Miller, a true entrepreneur and really inspiring interview about her time bringing Mainspring to life. Thanks once again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Of course, that's also how you can learn ways that you could partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like they do. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, solar warrior. It's half the battle.